Okay, could I have your all's attention, please? If you just arrived, if uh, you would see, look on your table, you'll see a survey that uh, those of us in New City Academy uh, leadership and teaching would really appreciate your feedback on. We wanted honest. We don't, we're not looking for kudos just for you to say good things about us because we're, we're insecure and, and need reinforcement. We really want your honest feedback, so please don't hold back. Um, this is our last week in the two-semester look at the New Testament, in our two-year look at the one redemptive story that, that breaks it up into casket empty, right? Tonight, we're looking at the new communities that find new life in Christ. This is our last week, as I said. We'll pick back up on January 17th where we'll talk about new communities being united in Christ. But tonight, we're looking at new communities find new life in Christ. Now, you may recall that each week we like to try to have a big idea. And this is the big idea for tonight. Receiving new life in Christ begins the restoration to our original calling in the one redemptive story. Receiving new life in Christ begins the restoration to our original calling in the one redemptive story. Now, when we talk about the one redemptive story, we're wanting you to think of the Bible as one redemptive story rooted in history with Jesus Christ as the hero. That's our overarching big idea about the Bible. And we said for this New Testament class or section, we wanted you to understand that the New Testament, in order to understand the New Testament, we've got to see the Old and New Testament as connected parts of this one redemptive story, right? Okay, now, to get into this new communities find new life in Christ, what I want to do, though, is remind us of a little of where we've all come over this year and a half. All right, and remember the casket empty is our acronym. Is our what, what do you call that? It's not an acronym. What is it called? Is it an acronym even if it's a word that, like that? Okay, I trust. Oh, really? Okay, so all right, that's helpful. All right, so what did the C stand for in casket? Okay, and in creation, we learned about why we need redemption. That was, the, that was the, 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 the value of what the creation segment brings to the one redemptive story. We saw that this gift of God's creation and the role that humans were to play in that creation. And what were we to be? What did God tell us we, we were through creation or are? Image bearers. And as an image bearer, we were to unveil or unearth the treasures of creation. We were to have little kingdoms in the kingdom of the king. We were viceroys or vice regents, if you want to think of it that way, who were serving in their little kingdom, their realm, if you remember what a kingdom is, the realm of our effective will, all 
spread out over creation. And we were to cooperate with each other. You could imagine that, let's, uh, let's just pick tonight that Matt's a woodworker, and he makes great violins. Dale is a metal worker, and he makes great horns and trumpets. Trumpets and, let's say, French horns. And let's say Rachel is a really good skin worker, and she makes drums. And then Rick Hastie writes the music that all of them can play together, and then Jeff conducts the instruments all playing together. And each of them are unveiling a part of creation, but the symphony of them playing together is what God had in mind. The beauty of that all happening together. Can you see that, though? Each of them were bringing stuff out of creation that then were to be operating in cooperation so that more of the beauty could be found in creation. Okay, but what happened? We didn't like that plan. We rebelled against that plan. We rejected the idea of God being a good God. We wanted life without God. God gave us what we wanted. And all the corruption to the original plan was brought in. And instead of a time of flourishing, we went to a time of pain. But even at the very first part of the story, God promises a redeemer. He says that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. All right, what was the next? What's the A stand for? Abraham. And in Abraham, we find out who gets redeemed. There, God promises Abraham that he will be a father of many nations. His descendants will be like the sand on the shores and the stars in the sky. And he says, through you, Abraham, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. And God establishes this unconditional covenant with Abraham through which he tells who is going to be redeemed. Then we go to Sinai. What are... And, in Sinai, we find out more how we can't redeem ourselves. And Sinai is about 400 years after uh, the, the initial descendants of Abraham, Jacob, and his 12 sons, and the 70, uh, part, 70 people in the family settle in, in Israel. And, I mean, in Egypt, 400 years later, God delivers them out of Egypt through Moses, and they head to the Promised Land. And God gives them the law, right? And the law is this incredible gift to, to boundary in the, the nation of Israel over the other nations of the world. But I think more than anything, it, it was to show as well how, yes, we, who was going to be redeemed, but we could not redeem ourselves. All right? Then, then what's the uh, K stand for? And that's all this period from around 1,000, about 500 years to about 500 B.C., a little, a little earlier than that. And all during that time, we had a plethora of kings in the, in, um, in the nation of Israel that eventually gets divided into the northern king of Israel and the southern king of Judah. And what's the, what's the, uh, the most significant percent of the kings are what? Good or bad? Bad. bad. Alyssa said. Few good. But I think more than anything, the king section shows us that no normal human, not even a great king, can redeem us. 
And in fact, most of them are horrific in their leadership. So we can't look to a mere human to redeem us. Okay, what's after kings? Exile. And so because of the continued rebellion and idolatry of, the, of, the, of both the northern and the southern kingdom, God sends the Assyrians to capture the northern kingdom, and he sends who to capture the southern? The Babylonians. Okay? And during that time, then, we see God preserving a remnant. But he's showing more than anything what a life without redemption looks like. This, you're exiled. You're gone from your home. You're experiencing incredible tribulation and trials because you didn't want me. I'll give you more what you want. Last one, temple. And here we start to see God through... Um, now the uh, Persians and a king by the name of, you remember? Who, who, who captured Babylon? Remember the king's name? Cyrus. Nebuchadnezzar was the Babylonian king. Good, that's good though. Cyrus is God's deliverer and captures or, or, or uh, captures the Babylonians and lets the Israelites head back to where? Judea. And they start to rebuild the temple. And that's where we got through with the Old Testament. Then we had a period of 400 years of silence. And we, that brought us to the New Testament. And what did the E stand for? Expectations. And we talked about, again, how in the Old Testament God had promised He would raise up a deliverer. You cannot find a deliverer, but I will raise up a deliverer. And the people began to expect that, hope for that, long for that. Then we talked about the Messiah. Jesus comes on the scene and he announces, repent for the kingdom of God is near or at hand. We talked about how that did not mean that the kingdom of God was just now being established. The realm of God's effective will had always been in place. What is happening is that Jesus is announcing that there is a way to reconnect with this kingdom, to re-enter into the, the relationship with God that would allow them to be restored as children of God. And then through that restoration to bring the kingdom of God to earth as it is in heaven. Right? Okay? However, the people during that time did not understand what Jesus meant. They thought he was going to do what? Say that louder. Overthrow the Romans. Nobody got it. Even the disciples didn't get it. He's crucified, rises from the dead. And then we talked about Pentecost. And Pentecost was this picture of God's relationship with man being restored by the Spirit of God coming to dwell on and in a people. And from Pentecost, what happened? The Word began to spread. 
Now, what I want you to think about is, before we do that, this is just a small, just a kind of reminder of geography. Here's where the church begins in Israel, and it starts to spread. The center goes, after the persecution, to Antioch. And Lance talked about last week how out of Antioch, Paul and, and Barnabas are sent into Galatia to share with those towns about this incredible gospel. They come back, they, and, and during that first missionary journey, they, they end up writing one epistle, or after that, I should say. Do you remember what that epistle was? Nope, not Romans. Galatians. Because after they had gone to Galatia and they'd embraced the gospel, there was, there was confusion there about what it really meant to live the Christian life. All right? So then, after they go back to Antioch, they're sent on a second, Paul is sent on a second missionary journey, and, he go, and he, they go up into this area. And during that, they come back and they write two letters. And who, what were the two letters that they wrote? First and second Thessalonians, because they entered into here and there was confusion again about literally what it meant to live the Christian life and the second coming of Christ. Then, they go, then he goes on a third missionary journey and he heads over into here further and he writes three letters in the midst of that. What were those? First and second Corinthians and Romans. Now, here's what I want you to remember. Who were the people that were the, what was the ethnic group that was the beginning of the church? The Jews. The Jews had somewhat of a background on this one redemptive story. Now, it could be debated how much at the broad level that was, but they had somewhat of it. But the, but the, the new communities quickly spread, as Lance talked about, into what kind of people group? The Gentiles. And you have, the Gentiles had little to no understanding of what this one redemptive story is. Now, this is what brings us to our next section in the casket empty, the teachings. Why were the teachings important? Because the people that were receiving the gospel had little or no understanding of this redemptive story. And the, the epistles that we just outlined or just talked about were written to help inform those people. Now, to put you on a little bit of a common understanding, I want to put you into your discussion groups. And at your tables, I want one person at your table to get out a sheet of paper and write your answers down to this. The question is, when a person trusts or embraces the gospel, trusts in the gospel, what happens to them according to the scriptures? So you write those down. So an example would be, they are forgiven. Now, you, you studied in this week's lessons, several scriptures that will help you even come up with some of those. Besides being forgiven, what else happens to them? Does that make sense? So write those out, and then after you've had a little time doing that, go back over that list together and say, which of those were really meaningful to you when you first 
embrace the gospel. And where, where are you these days in that? Does everybody understand? I'm giving you plenty of time to work on this. All right? Make sense? Any questions on the, on the discussion at the table? Okay, great. You're on. Okay, let me have you to pause for a moment, please. Let me have your attention. Uh, I'm going to go table. We're, we're going to go down to three after we do the list up here. So uh, I want I want to go table by table. You give me one. So give me one over there, Kevin. Your table, Betty. New creation. Lance, your table, or Rachel. Clothed in Christ's righteousness. I'll go back. I, I did, you guys, you're done. Peace with God, okay, great. Clothed in Christ's righteousness. Holy Spirit dwells in us. Okay? You guys. Who's your, who's your scribe back there? Patrick? Born again, and what was the other part? Okay. Um, you guys. Beth? Betty? Yeah, speak louder. I can't. Access to the Father. Good. Okay. Keith? Okay. Rachel? Do we have a do we have a transformation? I, uh, <laughs> Thanks, Liam. Renewing mind. Georgia. Hope. Alyssa. Brad, was it you? Understanding God's will, is that what you said? Okay, now. Uh, <laughs> I repent. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to. Give me one. Okay, good. Okay, that's good. Understanding God's will. I'm not going to finish with everybody. Adoption. Adopted. All right, now. What I want, I, I need all those lists when you're done. Now do number three. You have a fuller list now, right? We're, we're not even finished yet. We can, 
before we do this, anybody have one that go, it's got to be up there? It's got to be up there. Yes. Have eternal life, no fear of death. Great. Please forget, glad you did that. Anybody else have one that's got to be up there? Yes. Okay. Place prepared. Everybody knows what that, okay. Was there one back there? Yes. Safety net. Is that okay? Anything else that needs to go up there? Got to go up there. Okay. All right, now start talking. Which of those, which of these really meant a lot to you when you first trusted Christ? Which of these are meaningful more to you these days? Okay, so share that with each other at the table. Please. Okay, could I have your attention? Uh, would anybody like to tell us uh, their answer to the second part of number three? Which one of these ideas are you particularly enjoying at this season in your journey as a disciple? Anybody have anything they'd like to share with us on that? You have the mic. Oh, there it is. Thanks, Dale. A lot of us thought mentioned the fact that we now have fellowship with the Lord. We can pray to Him at any time. We have access. Uh, kind of the idea that uh, destroying that curtain in the temple was a really, really big deal. Okay. Thanks, Dale. Anybody else? Thanks, Keith. Yes, Patrick. Being prayerful and seeing prayers answered. I'm just saying that so that the, the audio tape has that on it. Thank you. Anybody else? I didn't talk about this at the table, but I'll say it now. Um, <laughs> I love the passage in John where Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. Hmm. Um, and you know, the idea of adoption, I think is one that has grown as my understanding of my faith has grown, mm. you know, as a kid, I, I wasn't adopted. So that wasn't, you know, part of my story cool. at all. Um, but the idea that I am now in a new family, I am now, you know, a daughter of, mm. of Christ, of God. Um, and that in that you know, Jesus saying, I will not leave you as orphans, like comes his presence, comes all these, all these things. Thanks, Carrie. Anybody else? Yes, Herb. I think about this part that I renewed the renewed mind, mm -hmm. you know, a new mindset. I think that's what's so cool about praying for those who don't know Christ, a new mind, not just a physical place, but it's a mm. new mindset. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Herb. Let me, um, I just listed out some of these 
for my sake while I was preparing this, and these were just some of the ones that I mentioned that I ran across. A great exercise in helping you to, uh, to list those out is if you go through the book of Ephesians and you just start listing out what's true of you in Christ. A lot of those on that list right there are, are from that, that particular book. Um, but these lists are not exhaustive in any way, shape, or form. Uh, we don't even... Uh, um, I, I heard somebody mention something about not being condemned. I put made righteous. I think I heard Jeff saying there's no condemnation for in, those that are in Christ Jesus. I mean... For me, who grew up in a shame-filled culture, having no condemnation was very, very significant for me to understand. Um, probably the thing that, though, I've, and I've told you this story, the thing that, that's not up on either of these lists that meant the most to me when I first trusted Christ is that I was loved, unconditionally loved as a son. And that, that really, really meant a lot to me at that, when I first uh, became a follower of Christ. Now, um, this is, whatever list you want to start, this is the new life we've received in Christ. We are alive, forgiven, redeemed, made righteous, new creation, sons and daughters. This is our new life in Christ. That's why it's in Christ. Now, what I want you to think about, though, for a moment is those Gentile believers in the first century. They hear the gospel, and they decide to become a follower of Jesus and enter into the kingdom of God. How much of that do they know? Probably little to nothing. And so now you begin to understand why the epistles why the teaching in the empty acronym? Because Paul, Peter, the apostles wanted these new believers to understand the new life they'd received in Christ. Because receiving the new life in Christ begins the restoration to our true calling in the one redemptive story. Now, here at your group, I want you to do a different list. This would be apart from the gospel and Christ. What does the Bible say is true of him or her? Somebody that is in Adam, the way Romans 5 speaks of it. So what does the Bible say about those people that are in Adam? Make that list. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? George is shaking her head, yes. What does the Bible, we looked at what does it say about those in Christ, what does it now say about those who haven't trusted in the gospel that are in Adam? At your tables, come up with that list. Okay, let's go in the same, um, the same process that we did the last time. Could I have everybody's attention? We'll go the same way we did. Betty, can you give me something that's true of me and Adam? 
Can you say it louder? Slave to sin. Oh, there it is. Thank you. Okay, slave to sin. Bonded in bondage. Okay, Keith. Without hope. Rachel. Georgia. Judged. And you have to forgive me. Tell me your name. Dan. Dan, I'm so sorry, Dan. Dan, go ahead. Give me one, Dan. Um, it says, uh, Un- unclean. Alyssa? Led by the flesh. Brad? Patrick? Won't inherit the kingdom of God? Is that what you said? Beth? Dark and understanding? Okay. Betty? Hearts of Stone, Keith, Condemnation, Rachel, Georgia, okay, are they, are they, uh, how, what adjective would you put on there before image bearers? Are they perfect? Marred. I like that word. Marred image bearers. They're still image bearers, but they're marred. Dan? Okay. You walked in those. Okay, Patrick. Brad. Beth. Okay, now, what I want you to notice is how many of these are the opposite of those, right? And again, you can find those going through in Ephesians, uh, like I heard Lisa did some of that, right? I heard you going through that. Um. Again, this is not a full list. And again, how much of the Gentile understanding grasps that? Probably 
the same amount that they grasped of this, of our new life. They might have known some of this, or they would never have turned to the gospel, right? But how much of that they really grasped was not very well understood. Now, how did we go from here to here? That's what I want to talk about. How did we go from being an Adam to being in Christ? And I want to use an illustration. How many of you can see this? That's an illustration of who we are in Adam. Now, when you look at a person in Adam, you might see a little bit of what might look like life, like on this one, but it's in, it's in essence dead because it's separated from God and will eventually completely be destroyed. This is the picture of a person in Christ. And the way in which this is changed is you have to uproot the plant and place it in a different soil. You receive new life in Christ. When God uproots you from your place in Adam and roots you into your place in Christ, this is how we receive this new life. First Corinthians, when Paul was trying to make clear to a group of people that were highly intellectual, they were very similar in my mind in, the, in, in Corinth to the United States today, very cosmopolitan, very intellectual, top of the, the food chain in many ways, had a big view of themselves and a little view of God, which I think is more true of the United States today than it's ever been. Big view of us, little true of God. And Paul looks at them and says, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us, who Christ has become for us, wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, sanctification, and our holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it's written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. There's no boasting in ourselves when we talk about who we are in Christ. That is only because God uprooted us from our deathly state of being in Adam and placed us into Christ. All because, as Kevin and I were just talking, while you were because of grace. No deservedness on this. There's no room for boasting, as we're going to look in Romans when they go into chapter 4 next week. Or as, as even Nick brought out a little bit last week, there's no room for boasting. We don't have any room to boast that we're now this flowering plant. We're in, apart from Jesus, we're dead. So we receive the new life that God has given us in Christ. Now, why is that important? 
What's that? That's a pig. Where do pigs love to, to live? In the mud. If you take a pig out of the mud and spray them off, clean them up, get rid of all his sins, where does he go when you let him? Well, because he loves the mud. I find, unfortunately, that people misunderstand who they are in Christ. They think they are pigs who have been washed by the blood of Christ, forgiven for all of their sins. The robes of righteousness now are covering them, but inside they are still a pig. And because that's true, they have to suppress their deepest desires for what? The mud. Christianity then becomes about suppressing my deepest desires to be a pig. What's that? That's a what? That's a bobcat. What a great name for an animal. Gosh, I mean, that is just a fan. I think, isn't he handsome? Don't you think he's rather stately? There we go. Now, if you take that bobcat and throw it into the mud, what does it do? It gets out of there and does what? Cleans itself off, unless you take that bobcat as a little kitten and you raise it with pigs. You know what that bobcat thinks it is? Thinks it's a, it's a pig. That's called bonding in the animal world. And you throw that bobcat into the mud, and what does it do? It stays there with all the pigs. Now, if you love that bobcat, what's the best thing you would tell them about themselves? Quit hanging around the pigs? Maybe. Oh, what was that, Carrie? You're not a pig. You're a bobcat. That's what I'm trying to tell you tonight. This is who you are in Christ. The temptation for all of us here is to think this is still true of us. You don't have to suppress your deepest desires. Christianity is about releasing your deepest desires because at the core of who we are in Christ is righteousness. I don't mean that that bobcat, after you've taken it out and told it it's a bobcat, every once in a while, and sometimes it forgets, and it thinks it's a... And what does it do? Goes right back to the mud. Do you, can you give me an amen for that? 
You all ever have any trouble forgetting that you're a bobcat and go back into the mud of sin? I won't ask for a show of hands of who even did that today, but I'd be the first one to raise my hand. This is how we received new life. God made us new creations. The old pigs passed away. Behold, the new bobcats have come. With that in mind, let's talk for a moment about why we get this new life. Why do we go from here to here? What did God have in mind in doing that? And I told you up front that receiving new life in Christ begins the restoration to our original calling in the redemptive story. One of the tragic distortions of the gospel, the redemptive story, is to think we become Christians in order to be transferred eventually to heaven to gain life insurance or a new destiny. Totally dismissing the calling that God has given us to live our lives here in the light of our original calling, to be image bearers, to be representatives of Him. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity calls that being little Christ. God is in Christ restoring us back to Genesis 1, 28, 27, 28, in Christ, where we're now in a relationship with God and His life is flowing in us. We are to be representatives of God. When people see us in the world around us, they are supposed to see something of God and honor God as the author of that. This is our calling in Genesis. This is what God is doing to restore us in Christ to that calling. Now, I want you to think for a moment, though, as a group. When you think about living out this calling as God's image bearers, which of the following do you start to think and feel and why? So on your groups, do that, please. Anything else come out of your tables? Joy? When you're saying because some people can lean and add on a little bit wrong, but not as well as Joy Joy. Um, <laughs> she was talking about it's like you know, we are a little bit newer than most people like I said we're from California. So uh, that says enough. Well, wait a minute. I don't know that you can be anything but in Adam if you're from California. <laughs> For many years, so that we were chosen and a little bit 
exciting it. Yeah. I'm not expecting it. So we did a lot of just more drills and insightful stuff. Do you know what you provide for any of us that have walked a little bit longer? You remind us of these. Because all of us forget them. All of us forget, oh man, what it was like to remember for the first, or realize for the first time that we're chosen. So please keep sharing that joy. That's a great thing to the body of Christ. Any other things come out of your table? Yeah. Things, the things I know I should do, I don't do. I do all the wrong things. I'm not, I'm not as good at this as Apollos, golden tongue. I'm not articulate. I'm not necessarily good, good looking. Um, and you see all these things. Maybe I appear to be a failure at this because that's not my giftedness. And so I have confidence that God is in control of these things and he will use these things. And then toward the end, Paul is saying, I have finished my course. It's sometimes easy to forget that even those guys are in process. That's why it's really helpful to look at the epistles in chronological order and not the order that they're in your scriptures. Um, In 2 Corinthians, Paul said this, For I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We are under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we had the sentence of death. Did you hear what he just said? He was under hardship so that he what of life? He despaired even of life. Now, several years later, he wrote a different letter to a group called the Philippians because he thinks he's about to die. And you know what he says then? If I live or die, I don't care. But we take that and think that's what he always believed, and he didn't. There was a point in his life he despaired even of life. He thought he was going to die. And so it's I like looking at them in chronological order to see as much the development of the people. Because here's here's the point in in this. We're to grow into this calling, to living out this calling. We get established in Christ, and now we live out what has been given us in Christ. This This is the way in which all of the epistles are written. If you look at particularly at Ephesians, the first three chapters are about our calling in Christ, who we are, our identity in Christ. Then the next three are about living out that calling in Christ. And he begins chapter 4 with, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, to live a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Live in accordance with what I just told you is your new life in Christ. So, when anybody tells you that Christianity is a burden or commandments to obey, they don't understand Christianity. 
I'm not saying that obedience isn't a part of it, but Paul, in the, in, the, in the greatest letter that he ever wrote, the longest letter he ever wrote that we're studying in here at New City, Romans, 11 chapters, 11 chapters before you have an imperative. There are five semi-imperatives in Romans 6, all which say basically believe what I'm telling you. Eleven chapters of what are called indicatives, truths to believe. So growth is not about getting something more. Growth is about living out what we've already received in Christ. Now, so on those two extremes, some people feel too much pressure, and yet at the same time, other people feel too much freedom. That doesn't matter how I live. I'm going to go to heaven anyway. I mean, or the other extreme is, who could be like Jesus anyway? So you got in there, you've got living out this calling that the, that the, that the apostles are very clear on. What we've learned in our lesson that you read is that the way in which this happens is that the Spirit of God actually empowers that living out of that calling. Where'd you see that if you studied the verses? Do you remember? Where did you see where it talked about us living by the Spirit? Galatians chapter 5. We live by the Spirit. Let's walk by the Spirit. The Spirit of God is the empowerment within us to actually live out this calling. But we have a role. It's not as if we don't have a role. We walk by the Spirit. We bear fruit by the Spirit. That's what, that's what Galatians 5 says. We are bearing fruit by the Spirit. We are God's workmanship. This is God at work in us. And he will complete what he has begun. He is the one who actually does transformation. Now, I want to go to this verse. I find this verse extremely helpful. You, you looked at it in your, in your lesson this week. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. First imperative, do something. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. First imperative in the book of Romans. I don't know the message. Do you know the message? Here's what I want you to do. Good. In your everyday walking around, working, getting up, doing the Lord's life with God. Now go, wow. Say it again, Mike. In the message, say it. Yeah, I love it. Here's what I want you to do is what he writes to us. He says, here's what I want you to do. Give your everyday life. You're getting up, going to work, drinking, eating, working, walking around life to the Father as a sacrifice. Here's what I want you to do. Give it to God. Basically, he says, give it to God. Give it to God. Then he goes on with that whole concept of the transformation that is his his wording of that, it's, I know it sounds like the RSV, the Revised Southern Version. <laughs> but 
It's an everyday thing is part of what he's saying, every day. And so he spent, by the way, the first 11 chapters explaining why you are holy and pleasing to God in your offering of yourself. That's what the first 11 chapters is about. Why this is the way you worship God. You give your life to God. And he's happy with it. He's pleased with it because of Jesus, because you have life in Christ. Then he says, don't be conformed to the world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is what's significant about this verse that I think people regularly misunderstand. They say, oh, I'm supposed to renew my mind. I'm supposed to do the transformation. Both of those are passive in the original language. We don't renew our minds. God renews our minds. We don't transform us. God transforms us. He does that through the renewal of our minds. We have a role we remember, think about, study, look at this, and we ask the Spirit of God to renew our minds and transform us. So we're not hoses that the Spirit of God runs through and it doesn't change us. We are plants that the life of Christ is living out in us and it's changing us. The word transform is metamorphosis in the, in the English. Where What's an example of metamorphosis? A butterfly from a caterpillar. Men and women, this is what's going on. The life is getting lived out more and more in you as that life changes you on the outside. And you live more and more in a manner worthy of this God who has called you to such a high calling. Then, look at the verse, then you will be able to know and test and approve what is the will of God. As you walk around day by day, offering yourself to life, what does it look like, God, for me to live this calling today? You'll understand. That's what it looks like. Please read it. Amen. How often do you have to remind yourself of that? However much you need to be reminded of it. What's that, Carol? On the heart of God is to raise men and women back to their original calling from this life of Adam. Remember, you don't know how good the good news is until you know how you don't know the height. You don't know the depth from which you've fallen until you know the height from which you've came. If you don't understand this is what God intended, you don't see how desperately wicked this is. But when you begin to understand the contrast in the two of those, the height to which God has called you, you, are, you and I are far worse than we've ever imagined and far more loved than we've ever dreamed, as Tim Keller loves to say. 
This is the calling, our new life in Christ, that we live out together in these new communities. Because receiving new life in Christ begins the restoration to our original calling in the one redemptive story. doesn't stop here. That's because the Word begins. Next year, we'll start to talk about the unity that this new life shares with each other. Any comments, questions, thoughts? Isn't it good to be reminded of this? Doesn't it lift your heart? This is who we are. You are not pigs, men and women. You're what? Oh, I love that name. I want to hear that around New City. I'm a bobcat. That'll please me. Okay, let's pray. Father, we, uh, we honor you for this mercy that you've given us. We deserved condemnation. We deserved separation. We deserved no hope without the covenants. We deserved all kinds of wrath but you made us alive in Christ. You uprooted us from our our place in Adam and you placed us into your son, Jesus, because of you. And he has become, Jesus, you have become our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Would you grant us from this day forward the grace to resist the lies that say we are not what you say we are? that we are inadequate, unacceptable, ashamed, alone, afraid. And would you instead renew our minds to the truth and transform us so that we might live out this calling to be your representatives in this world. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen.